Welcome to the Product Podcast, brought to you by Product School, the podcast where you get fresh insight from leaders at top tech companies and startups. Remember, you can learn product management in person at our 15 campuses worldwide or study with us online. Visit productschool.com to learn more about our courses. You can also hang out with the leaders from these podcasts at our hundreds of annual events and catch us at ProductCon, the world's largest PM conference that takes place every year across the United States and in London. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this online edition of ProductCon. My name is Milan Darnis, and I'm a product manager at Heap. And today we'll be talking about data that sparks joy. Maybe you're like me, and as a product manager, you sometimes feel a bit overwhelmed by the amount of data and data sets that you have access to to make better decisions. And so we'll be talking about how to make sure that you know which data set to use when, and also how to keep good, take good care of your data set so that it sparks joy and it really helps you make better business decisions. And so I'll start with a quick introduction and then we'll do it in a very Marie Kondo fashion. Uh, for those of you who are not too familiar with her, her methods, she often recommends to take all your clothes, all your items and put them in one place, for instance, on your bed to really understand and get a, sen a sense of everything that you own. And then you start like deciding what you want to keep, what you want to discard, what you want to give maybe. And so we'll do something a bit similar here. We'll start by looking at all the data sets or at least the main ones that you might be encountering as a product manager and understanding for each one basically what are their strengths and maybe their weaknesses. And then we'll discuss about what to keep, what to discard, how to keep building good habits to basically have a data set that always sparks joy. So let's get right to it. And before I start, I wanted to give a few words about me. So I started as a data analyst as a startup, and then I transitioned to data engineering role. And then I moved to product management, but I've product managed internal data tools. At Uber, I was product managing the A-B testing platform, and now like a product analytics tool uh, at Heap. So you can definitely see the conducting line here. There's a lot of data involved. And it's been great, like basically seeing how companies of different sizes have been using data to make better decisions and have been scaling their data processes. And very often I've seen data like really being used to help the business, to help like the individuals make better decisions. But sometimes it wasn't so like such the case. And so there's this quote I like that says, if you torture the data long enough, it will confess. Um, I think unfortunately this is true, like if you're not using the data uh, in the right way, you might actually get to the wrong conclusion, conclusions or you might just like not being as data informed as you thought you were being. So this is what we're going to try to prevent here by understanding like what are the different data sets you have access to and how to use them appropriately. And to get started with this inventory I was telling you about, um, I'll introduce you this kind of framework that I'll be using. Um, these are the criteria that we'll use to evaluate the strengths and the weaknesses of the data sets that we're encountering as product managers. The first one is ease of access, how easy it is to get access to this data set without having to buy many, many different people, for instance. The second one is completeness. So basically, when you look at a few points on your data set, how good are they at predicting the behavior of more individuals? Um, 
sometimes like you have data sets that are very biased towards certain population and sometimes you have complete data set that actually represents your entire population. The third one is going to be understandability. So this is basically to say if you're not a data scientist or if you don't have a heavy stats background, how easy it is to understand like the content of this data set. The fourth one is going to be accuracy. So when you look at specific data points, how accurate, how precise are they? And finally, we'll also look at reliability. So basically, how, uh, how good is, the, is this data set at performing cons consistently well? And so let's get to it. So you'll see, like, you might feel this way now because I've been talking about this framework and like a lot of data sets, but it will all become a bit more crisp once we get to the individual data sets. And we'll start with survey data. So survey data is the data you get once you send a survey to a portion of your users or all your users. Things about like an upcoming feature, for instance, or a recently released one, or just more in general, like satisfaction survey, for instance. The strength of this data set is that it tends to be very understandable because you're the one asking the question. And so it's very easy to interpret its results. But it will also be its weaknesses when it comes to reliability or accuracy because the survey data will be only as good as the questions that you're asking. And so we'll talk a little bit about that in the second part, like how to make sure that you're asking the right questions. After the survey data, you have the behavioral data. So I'm obviously biased here because behavioral data is what he provides, like the company I work for. And it's basically um, how are users interacting with your products, with your website or with your app? Where are they clicking? What are they viewing? What forms they're completing, for instance? Ease of access can be very high, especially if you use a tool like ours, where we give you like a full picture of like the entire data set retroactively. But on the flip side, sometimes it can be a bit hard to understand, especially if you have a lot of events flowing into your system. And so it can create a lot of noise. And so similarly, we'll talk about how to reduce that noise and to make sure you have a lean data set that you can easily understand. The other one I want to talk to you about is A-B testing data. So this is basically the results of the A-B tests that you run as a product manager. Um, A-B tests tend to be very good scientifically, so very reliable, very accurate. But the problem with A-B tests often are their understandability. Like if you don't have a stats background, like you need to be very careful when you're trying to interpret A-B test results so that you don't misinterpret things like the p-value of the test or the sample size. So those are concepts that I always recommend PMs to learn about. Um, but that makes A-B tests sometimes a little bit difficult to understand if you're not helped by a data scientist, for instance. And it's not just only qualitative quantitative data. It can also be qualitative data. And so, for instance, the data coming from your interviews is also a very like, important data set as a product manager. Um, so that's basically when you go talk to your users, ask them questions about an upcoming feature that you're talking about, or like a recently launched one to get their feedback. It might be also about like watching your users use your product. Similarly to surveys, interviews tend to be very easy to understand. Like you're talking to a real human, you can ask follow-up questions like this is great. Um, but one of the problems with interviews and sometimes like I sometimes struggle with is 
the, it's, it can be very time consuming because you have to do a lot of coordination to know who to interview, to make sure you interview people who are good representation of your target persona, for instance. And it takes time to just put time on people's calendar and coordinate all these interviews. So there's definitely like a flip side to the understandability of um, directly talking to users. We also will talk a bit about transactional data. So by transactional data, I mean the data that mostly lives in your backend systems or your financial data. So for instance, if you're a B2B company and you have an option to go from a free plan to a paid plan, you will be tracking like the moment where people are entering their credit card information to go from free to paid. And very often this data is very reliable and accurate and complete because you need all these data points to be in your systems in order to basically run your business. Like if this data is not complete, you probably have bigger problems than just how to read your data. But the problem with transactional data sometimes can be is the accessibility, like the ease of access of this data. Uh, what I've seen at several companies is that this data is often in the backend systems or in a separate uh, financial system, for instance. And so you have to have people who know how to write SQL, how to maybe uh, have access to a data analyst or someone who can query this table. It's not always the case. It's great when this transactional data is available to all people, but like more often than not, I've seen like certain barriers to entry to get access to this data. And finally, there's performance data. Um, this is the data that often we attribute to the engineering organization more than the product organization. Things such as number of crashes of your application or the average time it takes to load a page, um, more engineering-centric metric. This data tends to be very accurate and reliable as well. Sometimes a bit difficult to understand, especially if you're not an engineer and it might be using some jargon, some like specific terms that you're not too familiar with. Um, I always encourage product managers to keep an eye a bit on this data, even if it's not the main metric that you probably like care about as a product manager. Looking at this data, such as like time to load like your application is important because it can give you uh, hints at improving usability, for instance, or making changes to make sure that the experience is more reliable for your end users. So although it often lives in the land of engineering, sometimes we even need to get VPN access to get access to some of these logs and these stats. Uh, it can always be interesting for a PM to, to look at this data from time to time. So that was a lot of data. <laughs> that was a lot of data sets. Those were the main ones that I identified that I deal with on like at least weekly basis as a product manager. And it, it can feel a bit overwhelming. Like when should you be using which one and how to make sure that you're reading it appropriately. All, our, all these questions are the ones that we will now are, try to answer. So basically, we'll try to tidy all this, like make sense of all these like separate data sets to help you uh, be a more efficient and productive product manager. And to continue this analogy with Marie Kondo, we'll start with discussing like what you should keep, what should you discard, and how to think about like these data sets. And the first thing that I will recommend you to discard and to toss because it doesn't spark joy at all is what uh, people call vanity metrics. So this has been a term that we've started to hear like a few years ago, 
basically vanity metrics are metrics that make you feel good makes you feel that you're being data driven that you're using data to make decisions but actually they're not really moving the needle like if you look at things like just raw number of users or impressions like very broad and generic metrics it's going to be a bit difficult to actually if the metric goes in one direction or the other like make an actual product decision to change that so instead of looking at vanity metrics i would recommend you to look at objective oriented metrics so things such as how are people engaging with a recent feature that you launched or conversion rates between like different parts of your flow those are much more objective oriented because if you see a drop or something like strange like you will know what to do next to give you an example at heap we realized that uh, when the product changes sometimes the events that people were tracking became inactive like started breaking because the product um, the underlying product had changed and so we introduced a feature called event repair that basically easily helps people repair their events when once their product has changed and the events are not valid anymore a vanity metrics would have been to just look at things like number of events that would have been a vanity metrics because it doesn't tell me anything about whether the event was receiving data or not, whether it was a valid event. But instead, if I look at things such as engagement with the event repair feature, so how often people have been repairing events, now I really understand like if my feature is doing what it should be doing. Another thing I could be looking at is a percentage of events that are receiving data which actually we are looking at because this way it tells us whether people are not only using the feature but also using it in an efficient manner to repair their events and have a more trustworthy data set at the end of the day. Another metric or kind of metrics that you should toss are outliers. Um, so outliers can be very uh, like it can be very dangerous because it can completely skew like your interpretation of a data set. So to give you a simplistic example, let's say, for instance, that you're a social network company and your users can invite other users and you look at the average number of invites being sent and you see 50 as a number. And so that's, um, that seems super high. You're like, oh, this is awesome. There are a lot of users um, that are helping me, that are like, my product is viral and people are inviting their friends and this is great. But if you look closely at your data sets, you see that actually the vast majority of users have been maybe sending something between zero and five invites. And you have one user who mass emailed all their contact list and sent like 500 invites, for instance. So yes, your, um, your average is 50, but actually like it's not representative at all of all your user base. And so before you make conclusions on your data set, removing these outliers can be super important. This was a simplistic example, like this is something you probably would have caught, but more often than not, like outliers can be a bit sneaky and hard, hard to identify. Another option is to look at other things that just averages, like for instance, you could be looking at the median. So for the example I just gave you, the mean or average was very high, but the median probably was something between two and three invites sent per user. So in that case, looking at the median was probably uh, more leveraged than just looking at the average. 
Another thing that I would encourage you to do is on a semi-regularly basis, kind of audit your data set and to understand which events are not being used anymore and which ones are just not receiving data anymore and discard these feature we recently introduced at HEAP, which is basically letting you know which uh, events were not receiving data, were not being used, so that you can proactively clean those and keep a lean set of metrics. Because it's very likely that, for instance, if a metric is not being used anymore, it was a vanity metric, or it was a metric related to a feature that is not relevant to your business anymore. Maybe you change course a little bit, like you have a new direction, or maybe you even pivoted. And so it's important to continuously like, keep track of these metrics so that you're not looking at a dashboard that, yes, it's still receiving data and showing you some data, but it's not linked to the value of your business anymore. Now that you have like tossed the metrics that don't spark joy and you know which ones to keep, um, one thing that I always like to encourage people to do is have some sort of organization system for their data set. From Uber's data book, uh, I was, uh, I'm proud to have contributed to this data book while I was at Uber. It was a centralized repository where we, you could get a lot of information about the tables and the data sets that are uh, available to you as a data scientist or as a product manager. Of course, this is a pretty sophisticated version of it that like a large company like Uber can build, but you can also do something much more lightweight. Like it can be a wiki internally, like a notion page. It can be very simple, but the important thing is that you document like the tables and the data sets that are available to the people in your company. And you also explain some caveats, like for instance, there's a column name that might be hard to interpret because in the product, the name of that feature or that column has changed, but not in the backend database. So these are the kind of small details that tend to be tribal knowledge at company, but it's awesome when they're documented. It really helps like a new product manager, for instance, joining to really get up and running and knowing when to use which data set. Another good thing to put in that system might be the, like how often is a table refreshed? Some data sets are refreshed every day, other every week, some even more often than that. And so explaining that in your table can really help like make the best decisions. And lastly, a thing that I always recommend people to put in their, um, in their data dictionaries are things such as ownership. So to understand like if the data set breaks, if there's an issue with the data, who should I go to? Like who is responsible for fixing this data? More often they're not like uh, data set, data sets become orphans and with no one really maintaining them. This happens, this is fine, but should be documented so that no important decision is made based on an orphan data set that might not be up to date or accurate anymore. Another tip and something that we're introducing in HEAP also as a product and that I'm super excited about is having consistent naming across your events, across your definitions and your metrics. Um, it's very difficult to navigate complex data sets or large data sets when names are a bit all over the place. Some of them with upper cases, others with lower cases, some of them starting with what this is and which product it relates to, and others with which product it relates to and what the action is. When it's all over the place, you're gonna introduce confusion and you're much more likely to be using the wrong event to answer your question. 
And so by introducing some kind of formal naming convention, uh, you are helping like whoever is using the data at your company to make sure that they're using the right thing and that they have trust in the data set that you're showing them. So we talked about tossing the metrics that don't really spark joy anymore. And we talked about having a good organizational system. Um, now the last thing that's remaining is now that you have like a space that's a bit more tidy and understandable is building a good routine so that it, it remains this way and you continue to like have access to good and trustworthy data points. There are a few things here like there's definitely a lot of literature around like a common data science pitfalls or things to pay attention to. A few that I wanted to highlight is that when you look at your data set, like ask yourselves that kind of questions. Ask yourself whether the sample size that you're looking at, like the population that you're looking at, is large enough to be able to draw meaningful conclusions and is also unbiased, that you're not like favoring like a certain pers persona or certain parts of your user base. It's also important to know whether you're cherry picking or not. It, it sounds a bit obvious, but at the end of the day, we're all humans and it's, it's kind of natural to cherry pick, like to select, select the data points that help support your hypothesis. And to also, without sometimes doing it on purpose, of course, to discard the data points that are not supporting your hypothesis. So being aware that this is something that can happen and making sure you maybe share your data set with other people in your team so that you can also give, get their read on it might help reducing the risk of cherry picking your data set. Um, and also having some um, like basic understanding of things like confidence intervals, margins of errors, especially for instance, when you analyze the results of an A-B test, understanding like what might be the rate of false positives in your test. Like all these things are things that are great to do and easy to do when you have access to a data scientist in house, but that's not always the case. And I think those are good things to build uh, as a PM, good skills to build as a PM to be more confident in the results that you're uh, showing to the rest of your organization. Correlation versus causation is another big one. Um, there are a lot of examples of people thinking that two things that are correlated are there's actually a causality effect that one is causing the other. Um, again, that's something that can be human. It can be hard to like not like to always be careful not doing that. Uh, the best tip I can give to avoid that pitfall is to rely on things like A-B tests because A-B tests are at the end of the day the best way to get a sense of whether something is causing a certain effect and it's not just correlated. Like we saw, it's always not the most obvious thing to do. It can be hard to interpret if you don't have a data scientist in your company. So um, even without having to, without being able to do that, it's important to remember that correlation does not always imply causation. And finally, like also, learn how to ask good questions. This is something I've been fortunate to learn via mentors when I started as a product manager, is whenever you're like sending surveys or you're interviewing your users, make sure you ask good questions, like ask questions, for instance, that are open-ended versus closed-ended to get like as much feedback as you can on what you're trying to understand. 
Also make sure your questions are neutral and are not leading your uh, interviewees in one direction or the other. If you're sending a survey, like for instance, if people have to pick between like bad and excellent, make sure your uh, like the things that they can select are balanced. There's not like just one bad option and three like options related to good. Like the data set needs to be balanced. And finally, make sure you also ask one question at a time, especially if you send like a survey, don't ask like two questions within the same paragraph because it's going to be hard to interpret the results. But asking one question at a time will make the flow easier to follow for your end user and for you to understand the, the results of your survey. So hopefully this sparks joy. That was a, a lot of like little tips and understanding of how um, basically you can make the most of the data sets that you have access to. I also hope that seeing all these data sets that might be available to you as a product manager will give you ideas on maybe new ones that you haven't been using as much. I know for a fact that like for me, for instance, like it was a bit overwhelming at first because there was data a bit everywhere. But once I started categorizing the things that I had access to, it was much easier to understand like, okay, this is what I should use in that situation, for instance. And this is definitely a thing that takes practice. So don't be discouraged if you feel like there was a lot of different things to consider because as you grow in your product management role, you'll basically build these muscles to make the most of your data sets. And if you had to remember only three things from this presentation, uh, those were the things that I uh, explained in the second part. So basically, toss the metrics that don't spark joy, forget about vanity metrics, make sure you exclude outliers. There's a bunch of things that you sh just shouldn't have to worry about. And that's like less things to worry about, more things to uh, know what to pay attention to. Get also a good organization system in place. Uh, make sure like your data sets are properly named, have a owner, like are documented somewhere. That's really gonna help you in the long run. It can be a bit annoying at first, but uh, trust me, like it really can pay dividends. And finally, build a good routine around keeping that data, that these data sets and this data in a good state. Learn how to ask the right questions, learn how to interpret like statistical results. All these things, again, are going to pay a lot of dividends in you if you invest in these skills. So I hope you enjoyed this presentation. Uh, thanks a lot for uh, spending this time with me remotely. Thank you for listening to The Product Podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. For more product insights, head over to productschool.com.